Uh, this morning, Pastor Brian and Carol are on vacation, and so it is my privilege to teach this morning. Um, I sure appreciate all the people that have served today. You see them all over the place. Uh, there's people serving throughout our facility right now. There's people serving at Summit and at Southside, and I love to serve alongside of them. Um, because of all of you who are willing to serve, we get a lot done around here. And so thank you for that, and we pray that you would continue uh, to serve that way. So today we're wrapping up um, this study on, on the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Um, so we've met him over the last several weeks. We've been in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17, 18. Today we're going to study 19. So, so far we've learned about the man of prayer that he is. We've learned about the fact that he followed God uh, wherever and whenever. Uh, God said, you go here, he went there. You, God said, you go there, he went there. He was really good at following God. He was quickly obedient, which is a beautiful thing. Sometimes I'm obedient, not necessarily quickly all the time. So I'm learning that from Elijah and I appreciate that. Uh, we got to see how there was this big old throwdown on Mar Mount Carmel where he defeated the prophets of Baal, not only defeated them, but then they were killed. So that was like, yikes, that was a big, big thing, all right? So today, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, and today we're going to learn about this man of reality, uh, which just means he's just a real, regular guy. Um, we're going to learn how he reacted to some stuff, and so we're studying from 1 Kings 19 today. So if you have your Bible with you, there's also a Bible in front of you there in the pew. Um, the scripture is in the notes, but just a reminder, this is a great thing to know how to use. And so in your Bible, uh, 1 Kings is going to be in the Old Testament, the first half of scripture, where God shares his love story with the world, and they prophesy about the coming Messiah, who will be in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. So you might have a table of contents in the front of your Bible where you could look at 1 Kings. This is what I do. Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. That's where I can find it. So just like you might be like me, where you have to alphabetize things, and you still sing the alphabet song, because I cannot ever remember where you is. So if you are like that, you might need to learn a song where to find the books of the Bible. So First Kings is right after right after First and Second Samuel. Okay, so that's where we're at. So First Kings chapter nineteen. And we're starting right at verse 1. Now, I'm putting my Bible down because I'm going to read it from the font number 18 on my notes so I can see it, okay? All right. When Ahab got home. All right. Remember, he's coming from, so we got King Ahab. This just says Ahab, but it's actually King Ahab. So he had been at Mount Carmel. He had seen the fire come from heaven burn up the bull. Remember the whole offering thing, burn up all the water around it. He had seen all the prophets of Baal killed. And at that moment, King Ahab said, your God, Elijah, is the true God. That's what he told Elijah. So he goes home and he goes home to his queen. Her name is Jezebel. Jezebel's yuck. Okay. So he goes home. He told Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, everything. Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sends this message to Elijah. May the gods, now notice, if you're, if you're looking at that scripture, that's a little g, may the gods. She's not talking about big g, all right? She's talking about the little g gods. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, talking about the prophets of Baal. 
Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. When he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now we're going to pause all morning, so here's a pause, okay? Because we've got to talk about this. In my opinion, I thought Elijah would feel like he just won the Super Bowl. Right? What happened with the prophets of Baal? That was incredible. I, I always picture him at home like, oh yeah, we did it. We did it. Me and God. That was awesome. That was awesome. But instead, what we find here is not that. He's not even celebrating. You have King Ahab, who moments ago, it seemed like, was acknowledging that God was God. And he goes home. And can't you hear him? You won't believe what happened, Queen Jezebel. And he tells her everything, all the stuff. He killed them all. It was just terrible. I can't believe he did that. I think that he should have chosen to respect and acknowledge that he was God and decide to serve him. But that's not what happened. I think that Jezebel should have seen everything that happened and then responded in awe and respect. She didn't do that either. Instead, she threatens Elijah with death. We got to know Queen Jezebel is originally from Phoenicia, where all they did was worship Baal. So when she married King Ahab, she brought Baal worship with her, and she was one of the main, um, she funded it. She funded the Baal worshiping because it was so important to her. Uh, I, I read an article when I was studying for this, and it says she is one of the main sources of Israel's apostasy during the time. Now, then I went to the dictionary because I had no idea what apostasy meant. So this is what it means. Apostasy means total desertion or departure from one's religion or principles or cause. So she completely removed Israel from worshiping God, what they had originally been set up to do. So we find Elijah depressed, throwing a pity party, running from Jezebel, and asking God to take his life. That's where we're at in Scripture. Now, I also wanted you to see where he was. So we have a picture of a broom tree that's going to come up here. And I want you to see just he found this single broom tree. And look at how desolate that is, how lonely that is, how sad that is. To me, that matched exactly how Elijah was feeling at that moment. So he goes under the broom tree and sits and he says, I'm done. I've had enough. So let's pick up the story at verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under that broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Wowzers, there's so much here. Okay, first, Elijah is a prophet drained of strength. He is in this pit of fear and depression. He is a man who has had enough. He is discouraged. Some authors describe this as a dark night of the soul. Spurgeon writes in his book, Lectures to My Students, he says, fits of depression come over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, 
we must at intervals be cast down. The strong aren't always so vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. I know by most painful experience what deep depression in spirit means. And so did Elijah. Back to verse 9. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Let's pause here for just a second. Will you flip your notes over? Because on the back there's some fill in the blanks if you'd like to fill them in. Because I'd like to take a look at this course that Elijah's on. Number one, he lost his perspective. Elijah lost perspective. That short-term victory at Mount Carmel didn't mean the war was over. I think Jezebel might have seen that rain at a distance and thought, yes, we won, until King Ahab got home and told her otherwise. Did you know that sore losers can be pretty vicious? And I think she was. For the God follower, if you've chosen God as your savior, if you're a God follower, the battle literally never ends. Yesterday's victory doesn't ensure today's success. Every day we must rely on God's power to overcome our challenges. Without God's strength, Elijah was pure and simple, a weak man, just like us. In the words of Jesus from John 15, 5, he says, you can do nothing without me. We must take the long view of the Christian life. Until we see Jesus, we are engaged in war. That's just how it is. Number two, Elijah lost his commitment to follow God's word. He lost his spiritual bearings. He drifted outside of his routine where he was depending on God's word for every step he took. Remember, before when we read, God said, go here, Elijah, and he went there. Go here, he went there. Go here, he went there. And now, God has not directed him here, but here he is. He's AWOL. We will face the same temptations. So will I order my life by God's authority, or will I do what I want, when I want, where I want? Because I get to make that decision. <clears throat> when we get away from the simple discipline of regularly reading and applying God's word, we will drift into ungodliness and spiritual darkness. If you aren't in God's word, I'm just going to tell you today, if you aren't studying God's word at all, the question isn't whether you will drift away from God's will, but when and how far. 
it is imperative that we study God's word. Number three, Elijah lost his vision of the greatness of God, his vision of the greatness of God. He was afraid, so he drops his focus, his elevated focus, his vantage point that he had had of God. When he panics, he drops it. The author House says, for whatever reason, whether it was fatigue or lack of faith or a sense of resignation at the prospect of never living in peace, he flees. We must maintain a high view of God as we journey through the challenges of this life. Even the best of saints can lose sight of who he is and what he can do. We've got to remember he is the one true God and all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Number four, this course he's on, he lost his fight. He lost his fight. Elijah was in fight or flight response, right? And this time he chooses flight. <laughs> he takes off. He runs away. We read in that scripture, he goes all the way to the southernmost point of Judah, leaves his um, guy there, his servant there, and then he goes another day into the wilderness to where he ends up at that broom tree. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. And when we fail to tackle the most pressing spiritual issues before us, we discover that we're even unable to tackle the smallest issues in front of us. You cannot work out your challenges for, you cannot work around your challenges for long. Sometimes you just got to fight. And number five, he lost his desire to live. He lost his desire to live. He joins, honestly, quite a list of biblical leaders, even biblical heroes who felt the same way. You got Moses and Job and Jeremiah and Jonah, all of them wanted their lives to be over. And God sustained all of them and restored all of them. Aren't you grateful? So if you've ever said, I've had enough, Lord, you're in good company. You join all these saints who felt the same way. So whether you're tempted at this moment to leave your spouse, to leave your job, to leave this life, I'm telling you, Elijah's story has hope for you today. Because God dealt with Elijah with amazing grace and patience. And I think he'll do the same for you. So we talked about this course that he was on. I'm a big believer of cause and effect. So I don't think you necessarily end up on a course without having some causes that kind of found you there. So let's talk about the causes that I think put Elijah on this course. First of all, I think he was drained. I just think he was worn out. He was drained physically. He had traveled a lot. They estimate 300 miles he had traveled, and most of it he was running. Why this man ran everywhere, I do not understand that. <laughs> I'm not a, I would have scooted everywhere, but I would not have ran. So he was running everywhere. He had very few meals, and if he did have a meal, it was bread and water most of the time. And I think when we're physically tired, we're spiritually vulnerable. I just think they go hand in hand. I also think he was drained emotionally. Um, he could not live on yesterday's victory, neither can we. I think everyone can kind of be vulnerable after a victory because you really want to stay on that mountain, but you're not necessarily going to. In fact, I kind of guarantee you're not. And God, in his infinite wisdom, chooses to humble us through trials so that we can be dependent on him, not ourselves. And I also think he was drained spiritually. He had been in part of this intense spiritual battle. I'm just telling you, evil takes its toll on us. Um, we will be tempted to give in and not rely on God's strength when we're the most worn out. 
So part of his cause for the course he was on was he was just drained. He was worn out. I think he was also disappointed. I think once he saw what happened at Mount Carmel, he thought, revival's coming. This incredible example of God's power, this whole country is going to be like, sign me up for that, man. I'm following that, God. That's amazing. And that did not happen. Ahab didn't stick to it. He went home and told on him. Jezebel, instead of saying, wow, I think I might have been wrong this whole time, I'm going to now serve this one true God and show him awe and respect, she wanted to kill Elijah. So I think he was just completely crushed, honestly, because he thought revival was coming, and it, and it did not. So he was disappointed. And number three, he was isolated. He had traveled alone for a long time, and now he deserts his servant. And not to go and pray, he deserts his servant for a pity party. The author Riken states, depression isn't only caused by the absence of community, it also perpetuates it. So I need other people to encourage me. You need other people to encourage you. We need somebody to lift our spirits. We need somebody to walk alongside of us and do life together. We are made for community. It's so incredibly important, and we see this firsthand for Elijah. Number four, I think he believed half-truths. It's pretty easy to do that. I've done that. You may have done that also. He believed half-truths. He believed about being self-righteous. That's a half-truth. He thought he was superior. Remember when he said, I'm the only one left. thought quite a bit of himself. Do you think sometimes you're the only zealous one left out there? When you look around, you're like, where is everybody? Why am I the only one who's passionate about this? Be careful because self-righteousness can be pretty blinding. Um, Only one is totally righteous, and that wasn't Elijah, and it's not me, and it's not you. Okay, God is the only righteous one. I also think he believed the half-truth of self-importance. When he said, I'm the only one left, he's exaggerating how important he is. Sometimes if this is your feeling, if this is my feeling, my pride will eventually turn to despair, and so will yours. We have to keep a sober assessment of ourselves. And I think he believed the half-truth of self-pity. So Jezebel said, I want to kill you. But he told the Lord, all of Israel wants to kill me. (laughs) That wasn't true, was it? He was exaggerating it, and self-pity sometimes causes us to do that. I think sometimes, too, when you're really suffering with depression, um, you end up making things worse, sound worse, than they really are. So today, just wondering, are you drained? Are you disappointed? Are you isolated? Is Satan helping you to believe half-truths instead of the real truth? Um, I think you need, I think I need, a heavy dose of grace and truth through Scripture and through God's grace. Verse 15. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as the prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. Anyone who escapes from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. 
So all this has happened, and here we see God's gracious response to Elijah. Number one, there's bread in the wilderness. Bread in the wilderness. I think it's really encouraging that God feeds his runaway prophet instead of answering his prayer to die. Isn't that an amazing gift from God? Elijah sleeps, wakes up to fresh bread and water, sleeps again, wakes up again to fresh bread and water, and then he walks 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. What in the world was in that bread, for crying out loud? <laughs> Amazing. Can you imagine being exhausted? And in the middle of the night, you wake up, and there is a fresh, hot bowl of Texas Roadhouse Rolls next to your head. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And you're in that, remember that picture of the broom tree? Where did that come from? And then you look, and there's a pitcher of water, and it's not regular water. It's not room temperature water. It's ice cold water. And you eat and you feel fulfilled and then you feel a little sleepy again. So you go back and you nap again. And then when you wake up, it's all there again. How caring and kind is that? I want to make sure John hears this because this afternoon I plan to take a nap. <laughs> and when I wake up, uh, no. Um, I will tell you that God does rebuke him later. He really does. But right now, all he does is care about him. Isn't that beautiful? Don't we have that mixed up in our heads sometimes? If I don't do everything right, I'm going to get in trouble with God. If I don't do everything right, maybe an angel's going to show up with bread and water. That's pretty kind. That's pretty creative of him. Because he knows sometimes we need spiritual rest. When you have had enough and you look to him, you find out he's enough. I think this week you should do a study. I've included a few verses there that we don't have time to talk about today. But this week, I think it'd be interesting for all of us to look up these verses and find out what he says about rest. So they're listed there, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29, John 6, 35, Romans 8, 1. They all talk about this idea of rest. I think also sometimes we need physical rest. Good food and good sleep are wonderful cures for spiritual depression. In my opinion, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is take a nap. And I also think we need companionship. I'm so grateful that God provides helpers for Elijah. So you have an angel, and then later on we have Elisha. We're going to learn about him next week. Don't run from the need for community. Find a group, be a part of it, and do life with them. We all need that desperately. So God's gracious response also results in a voice on the mountain. A voice on the mountain. So Mount Sinai, we've seen this in scripture before. This is where Moses went to have a conversation with God. This is where Moses went to get the Ten Commandments. So I think in Elijah's mind, when he's told to go to Mount Sinai, he's like, yes, I'm going to meet with God. That's awesome because that's God's mountain. Sometimes the fire falls in corporate gatherings like this. When we all come together, it's so great and we can feel the Holy Spirit. But God also works quietly through his written word and his spirit in the hearts of people. So we don't always have to seek this. We don't always have to seek being together in drama and controversy and big discussions. Sometimes we just need to seek the God of grace in a quiet place. Get alone with him, listen to his word, think on his gospel. Remember when Elijah 
experienced. There was that great wind that came through, and then there was an earthquake and a fire, but God wasn't in any of that. He didn't show up until the soft whisper. So I looked it up. That phrase, soft whisper, appears only two other places in Scripture, and all are mentioned within this context of rest and refreshment, but they're all amid pain and distress and fear. I've listed those there in your notes because I think that would be great to check that out. Job 4.16 and Psalm 107.29. Because we, we should never underestimate the power, the value of solitude. Sometimes we pack our noisy lives so full that we miss that soft, gentle whisper of God's voice. So there was bread in the wilderness. There was a voice on the mountain. And now he gives them a visit, a vision for his future a vision for the future. This is pretty cool to me because in the midst of his depression, Elijah keeps talking to God. That's huge. That's huge. So no matter how you feel, even in your darkest days, maybe you're really mad, you're really ticked off, maybe you're ticked off at God, keep talking to him. Keep talking to him. God's mercy is demonstrated here in that he gave Elijah a new vision for his future. So he gives him an assignment. He says, I want you to anoint Haziel, and then Jehu, and then Elijah. So he's got a plan. Um, he lets him know that the ultimate victory over Baal worship was not won at Mount Carmel. It's going to come in this kind of slow political progression, this process that's going to last even after Elijah's lifetime. So that was one piece of the puzzle, but it's going to keep happening. Uh, he helped Elijah uh, to, to fight well in the present, but also to prepare other people to fight well in the future because God teaches Elijah and us that no one is indispensable. It's way bigger than any one of us. And he also gives him uh, this new assignment, but also a new friend, a companion in Elisha. So throughout his assignment, he also gets assurance he tells him at the end of that scripture, There's not, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 people that have not bowed down to Baal that are my believers. You're not the only one. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those who are his. And he did then. So let's wrap this up. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In Greek, this word would be anthropos which means it refers to beings participating within the human race. So that's all of us. He was like us. He was a man. For Elijah, this season of fatigue uncovered an inflated ego underneath this tough exterior that he had. Comparison and misplaced expectations had derailed his emotional stability. He was pummeled with self-condemnation, with disappointment, with regret about his failure to achieve something that God never had meant for him to achieve in the first place. So I have good news for you today. God is not mad at you because your body is tired or your mind is frayed or your soul is unusually heavy. He's not mad at you about that especially not after the kind of project you've just finished or the difficulties you've just endured or the emotional marathon that you're running. He isn't agitated by the limitations of your flesh. Instead, he stands patiently ready to minister to you, to work through those deficiencies and to nourish you 
as you recover from them because he has a vision for your future. He has an assignment, but he also has an assurance. There's nothing wrong with resting. We need that. Resting replenishes us. It builds us back up. But if we're not on guard, if we're not on guard, we'll overreact to the rush of adrenaline we feel as our circumstances begin normalizing into our daily rhythms. And then we'll crash. We'll spiral into an emotional tailspin, becoming obsessively self-critical, hypersensitive, crippled by insecurity, giving, over into, giving into overindulgence, loneliness, and every paralyzing sadness. That's exactly where we find Elijah. Even mighty representatives of God, like Elijah, who are on mission and fulfilling their divine assignments, like Elijah, are still human. <laughs> And they're in need of safeguarding, just like Elijah was. With his spiritual gaze and eyesight lowered from heaven down to earth, his emotions were misdirected and they were onto himself, onto his circumstances. He had become a shell of the man that he once was. Faith had taken a backseat to fear. Hope had been overshadowed by hopelessness. Expectancy had succumbed to dread. And the trajectory of a heart that's turned inwardly on itself cannot help but take a downward path. Becoming obsessed with ourselves is sure to lead toward a traumatic pitfall into fear and insecurity. So Elijah's limitations, his weaknesses, and his emotional quirks didn't scare God off or disqualify him from serving God in a mighty way. God knew all of those tendencies in Elijah. He factored all of them into the unique plan he designed for Elijah's life. He didn't ignore his prophet's needs or neurosis. <laughs> he worked with them. He made use of them in showing his care for Elijah, as well as showing what he can accomplish in each of us despite our human imperfections. At the bottom of your notes there, there's a few questions. Have you ever been in a place where you know, to, know God is asking, what are you doing here? He didn't direct you to that place, but there you are anyway. I'm not talking about church. I'm not sitting, I'm talking about sitting here or watching online right now. I'm saying in your life, has there ever been a time where God looked at you and said, what, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Will you listen today for the soft whisper? Or are you waiting? Are you waiting for that huge wind or the earthquake or rocks to fall or fire to be there? Because you have to get pretty quiet yourself to be able to hear that soft whisper of God. Will you allow God to minister to your hot, tired, raw, depressed, discouraged heart today? I'll tell you, there's been moments in my life where I've felt that, where my heart could not be more raw. My heart could not be, it was just hot inside of me. So many things were happening and I was sad, I was depressed, I was upset. I don't know about you, but sometimes in the middle of the night when I wake up, I flip my pillow. You ever do that? Because you want the cool side of the pillow? Maybe you have a fancy pillow that stays cool on both sides all night long. I do not have said pillow. <laughs> but I flip that pillow over and it's cool on that side. I feel, like, I feel like today could be that for your heart. I feel like today looking around. I have the privilege of praying for you each week. Many of you fill out prayer requests. And sometimes when I look at you, 
I think about what you're praying about. Some of your hearts are awful raw. And they're hot and they're tired. You're tired. You're worn out. I just wonder today, could you allow God to flip your pillow? <laughs> and you could feel that coolness on your raw, hot heart. That God has something for you. He hasn't left you. It might be bread and water. It might be a nap. It might be a friend who's going to speak hope into your life. But today could be a cool side of the pillow day for you. I pray that for you today. And will you choose not to live on the victories of yesterday, but ask God for a vision for your future? And while you're doing that for yourself personally or for your family, I wonder if you would do that for this place. I wonder if you would do that. You would dream for a vision for the ministry that you're a part of. Maybe you serve in something and you say, man, I, I feel like there could be more here. I feel like we could do more. Will you pray for that new vision that God would not only give you an assignment, but he would also uh, make all those assurances for you so you know which step to take next? And would you also pray that for this place, for Southside, for Summit, God has a vision for us. Would we be so courageous to follow it? Would we have the guts <laughs> to show up where he wants us to show up so that we don't find ourselves in a place where God says, what, what are you doing here, Cheryl? So today we're going to pray. Lots of times there's music when we pray or people sing a great song. We have such incredible musicians here. But today, we're going to be real quiet. Because I'd love for you to hear the soft whisper. I'd love for me to hear the soft whisper of what God has to tell you today. You're welcome to pray any way, anywhere you want. But in the Church of the Nazarene, there's these beautiful, it's just a bench with a cushion on it, but that, we call that the altar. And that's a really special place where you and God can speak one-on-one. -on -one. It's literally like kneeling at the foot of the throne of God. And sometimes you can be a little more focused there. So these, these are open. You'd be welcome to use those. But today, those questions, and you know, you can listen today, and thank you for listening so kindly. I appreciate it. And you can go on your way, and, and this may not affect you at all. Or you could say, I'd love to have a new future, Lord. I'd love for you to have a plan for me. I'd love to be quickly obedient to it. So let's pray together. Lord, this is a great challenging scripture. All those weeks ago, when Pastor Brian asked me if I would speak today, I saw that he got the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel and it was going to be awesome. And then he got to talk about prayer, and it was going to be awesome. And then he handed me this and said, you need to talk about when Elijah was depressed. Wow, thank you very much. <laughs> but boy, have you challenged me as I've studied for this. The times in my life when I know you said, what are you doing here, Cheryl? The times when I've been waiting for the big old earthquake or the wind or the fire to come. Lord, please fall on me. When you were there the whole time and I just wasn't quiet enough to hear you. 
the times, Lord, when my heart has been so raw and hot and tired. Sometimes of my own doing, I got myself in those circumstances, and sometimes it had nothing to do with me. Thank you, Lord, for flipping my pillow. Thank you for those times where I know you've cooled my heart. I know you've brought healing to me. I pray that for my friends today. I don't know what anybody's praying for for themselves, but I know you, and I know that you're meeting them right where they're at. So thank you for using a person like Elijah with all of his great qualities and all of his stuff that looked pretty human to me. And you had a plan for him and you used him in a powerful way. I pray that for each of my friends today, for each of the people listening today, that they would see that the stuff that they feel like, man, I got to fix that up. I got to clean that up before God can use me. You look at that and say, I'll use that and I'll use that and I'll use that. Because you're God and you've got a different vantage point than we do. Thank you for being the God of the universe. Thank you for being who you say you are. Help us not to lose sight of that, Lord. That all authority has been given to you. The fact that you would have a vision and a plan for me, for my life, for my future, and for each of these friends listening, and for this place, and each ministry that's a part of this place, that's pretty remarkable, and we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a different, just a different vantage point today. I, I feel like I'm primely positioned to experience you in a new way, and I don't want to miss it. Thank you for helping me to relate to you in a different way. Maybe more mature. I'm praying for more dynamic ways in the future. And sometimes, Lord, I think you allow us to walk through wilderness for this purpose alone, to cleanse our spiritual palate, to pique our spiritual senses, and to compel us to seek you with fresh interest and fresh passion. So we, we pray it would be true even today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being here today. And thank you for continuing to teach each of us in a really unique, intimate way. You're a very kind Heavenly Daddy. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.